0: How did we get to this point where you're starting to do uh, these Zoom calls? Because
1: we wanted to see the handsome fellow on the other side.
0: No, that's some bullshit. But I'll give you, I'll give you whatever you want. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been around you long enough now to know that that's not necessarily the case. The fact case is that to do this properly, you do need to be looking at somebody's face.
1: Yeah, I understand. I don't want to look at my own. I see it in the mirror, and I'm not happy. I
0: I, I get it. I get it. Nice win for the C's last night. Yeah, yeah, I mean they're playing well right now. I don't think that anybody saw, you know, some of the some of the things they've been doing right now offensively are just unbelievable. Now, the biggest thing I'd say how about all this is can they sustain that? Yeah. Uh, during this uh this un- unbelievable run, as my broadcast partner says, now, now as he's saying for the first what fourth of the season, he said the greatest offensive team ever right now putting up numbers and really? the numbers the numbers are good but yeah. you know let's get into the the latter part of the the season let's get into the meat and the potatoes because the Celtics have a six game series which is coming up west uh, coast so, no this is well kind of the middle of both of it you play brooklyn and brooklyn on sunday and then you have toronto uh phoenix Golden State, and then both Laker teams. So let's see how they do after that road trip.
1: Well, I watched the Lakers piss away a game last night that were led by 17 in the fourth quarter.
0: Watch what I'm doing with this. Ha-ha, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, my, my heart is torn apart because of that. But, yeah, I n- keep saying, but you keep looking at their team and their team in today's NBA, part of it doesn't fit. You know, this is a team no. that holds the basketball a lot and they're stationary the easiest team to guard is a team that is stationary and they don't have great three-point shooters no so, no, so kind of... you can you can walk them down and and i guess indiana walked them down and uh you know they they really needed to win that game from a confidence standpoint yep. uh because that team obviously struggling they went there they felt really good i saw my guy james worthy smoking a cigar after the two victories at San Antonio <laughs> I, I well, really, who did you beat, who did you beat? R- r- really so yeah hey, you so, got to
1: read you got to read some of the bullshit here in New York oh about the, with the Knicks my goodness and I'm watching the telecast good thing Clyde Frazier tells the truth because his partner Mike Green He's like the only thing missing is the pom-poms.
0: <laughs> well, you know, you know how in that position, and you've been there before, that the team normally wants you to see it through, as the Celtics used to tell me, see it through green colored glasses. And, and I got called yeah. to the office one time because yeah. I didn't see the game that the way Tommy Heinsohn saw it. Well, so Mike. we want you to, We'd like for you to be more like Tommy, and I. And I immediately replied, "There's only one Tommy Heinsohn. I, well, I can't well, see Mike. like him. All I can do is give you what I am seeing and tell you I can't make stuff up as, as it goes along."
1: No, I understand, but the, the truth of the matter is, Jalen Brunson has been good for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think Randall's having a hard time adjusting to not having the ball as much as he did in the past.
0: Well, I think Brunson is good for them. I think if I was them and talking about their first round picks, I think uh, Donovan Mitchell. I'd have gave up two picks oh. for Donovan Mitchell. You could have these two whatever picks we have right now coming up cuz you know, Donovan Mitchell is a legitimate star in this league. And no if doubt tell me that, you know, I'm going to have him in New York City as my marquee player as a point guard. Uh, you know, I'm taking that all all day. You know. Hey, you know
1: what happened? What happened is they wouldn't give up the two number. They wanted, they wanted, um, they wanted. The Utah one, and Danny Ainge stuck it to him. Danny mm-hmm. Ainge wanted two number ones and RJ Barrett, and they weren't going to give up Barrett and the two number ones.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have gave up. I don't think I would have went that far from giving up RJ Barrett and the two number ones. But the number ones and something else, I would have done that. Because that's a team that is desperately in need of a marquee player,
1: no doubt. And he's from here. He's from yeah, New York.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. And the kid may be one of the nicest, most educated young men I've ever been around. Really, I had a chance to talk to. I talked to him for a minute because I am not finding out his door, his his father uh, played basket played baseball. Excuse me, at UNC Charlotte, where I went to school. So I hmm. had a chance to talk to the dad and. Told him I was gonna to talk to the son and I told him talk to him later on. And it was it was such a pleasant conversation <laughs> that you don't get with normally with guys like that with their caliber of talent.
1: Hey, let me ask, is your college coach still alive, Lee Rose? No.
0: Lee Rose passed away about a year, a little bit over a year ago.
1: And he was uh, with the Nets when I was with the Nets. He was mm-hmm. one of the assistants. What a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Really Lee-
0: love talking to him. Lee was we and they had the memorial service for him uh, everybody got up and started talking uh, and and fortunately they did not give me the mic because everybody was, oh Lee is such a nice guy and that day he understood and he loved I said and then I later on I had a chance to speak on, on it and then I said let me tell you Lee Rose was we were petrified of Lee really? Lee were Lee ran that place just like it was an army camp over there and he, we were the soldiers and he was a commander so i mean and, and god bless him he did what he did we understood and we had a a great relationship as troops and 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 and, and lieutenant or, or colonel
1: hmm. i thought well he was really in when i was around him he was really nice but you didn't
0: you know. figure out you didn't have to play for him, okay? No,
1: I guess. I you, guess.
0: Anytime you can talk to a guy, it's, oh, it's really he is such a nice guy. But then the, the guys that played for him, you no, know, he was such an asshole. really, uh, he I was not our that. asshole, and we loved him. We absolutely. you won. He, he got, yeah, he, he got the best out of us as players. And we got the best out of him as a coach. So uh, no complaints at all when it comes to that. But the reality is, you know, this is who he was as as a coach.
1: How's uh, Missoula to deal with?
0: I really haven't, (coughs) excuse me, talked to Joe as much. Um, In knowing him, he's very quiet. He's very laid back. Uh, You know, the players seem to have... um, found a great love for him. And again, this is just the, the first part of the say I want to know what happens when, you know, the road gets a little rocky. Uh, but so far, it's been a, you know, a very smooth road. And as you know, being around the league, every team is going to have those, uh, those, those bumps and those obstacles are going to come up. How are those teams, uh, you know, uh, bounce back from that? That's why I'm saying it's such a big road trip for the Celtics coming Mm -hmm. up to see how well they perform and see what happens when they get to these rocky places. Cause you're talking about going into Phoenix, tough game, got golden state, the scene of the crime that beat you. And then you got the Lakers and the Clippers and you got the Lakers on the last night of a 10 game road trip. And you Mm -hmm. know how difficult it is to win in anybody's building coming off the road at the very end.
1: And then and Brown didn't play last night. Was he just taking the night off?
0: I think so. I they said he has sore uh, stiffness in the neck, and mm-hmm. uh, you and I know it's a, it's a different different era uh, when you were around as a broadcaster and you saw players. You know, they damn near had to have their neck falling off or a leg. You know, carrying a leg in their in their hand before any team would allow a player to get off. Uh, it's now a new uh, generation. They're trying to extend your career. They're looking at rest opportunities if they get it. And uh, Jalen Brown, if he had to, I think he could have played. But to give him that rest, I think, was uh, a good thing for the Celtics. Playing against a team like the Hornets, who have uh, definitely struggled.
1: Yeah. All right, we're going to get going in about two minutes.
0: No, I, was, I thought we were rolling. Okay. No, no, I don't. We just,
1: that, that's why I, didn't just okay, okay. that's right.
0: why I didn't stop no. you. Okay.
1: Okay. That's why You know, guy to that, you remember Pete Carrillo, who coached at Princeton? Uh Uh-huh. He passed away uh, within the last couple Uh of months. They had a memorial service for him at Princeton, brought back a lot of his old players. Um, But but coincidentally, Brian Taylor, who was a great player for him Mm -hmm. when when I was there, uh, he didn't come. And that kind of surprised me. I asked the, the people in charge, I said, did you invite Brian Taylor? He goes, oh, yeah. But he said that he 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 couldn't make the trip, which surprised me because I know Brian really liked Pete a lot.
0: Did you know about this other guy, uh, um, Marty Glickman? You ever heard of him before?
1: Yeah, I know how you feel about him. He's like one of your but, best friends.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> I always do like this. I am here and Hitler's not. Okay, I am in this bunker. I love that. That that was one time I did get a chance really to see Marty. At his best when he was doing the whole thing about uh, the Olympics and that, you know, the one that he yep. got, uh, he wasn't able to perform in. Right. And that was that was really cool seeing that. Yeah. Well, I, always, I, I yeah. don't
1: know. If, but you, we were together doing a game, doing the Celtic game against the Knicks at the Garden. And they had that great location right above the doorway. Uh-huh. Yeah. The court. And um, Marty was sitting there with Red Auerbach right next yeah. to our location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at halftime, Marty got my attention. I had never met Marty. And okay. he said, you, how are David? Said, I'm Marty Clickman. I said, I know. How are you doing? Oh, great. I've been listening to you in the first half. You guys are really clicking. And I okay. said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And then Boy, me, remember,
0: Wasn't that you that had me? Was it you, Who was that that you really liked that time? That wasn't. The, and, I had to, and I went and got, oh, Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Yeah, Bill I remember Cosby. that. You had me go get Bill Cosby. And I have yeah. a picture on the wall right now that I took that day No with kidding, me, Bill Cosby, and uh, who else was it? It was um, uh, Kendall Gill. Kendall Gill. Kendall I got, Gill. Got three of us, yes.
1: That's interesting. Uh, what I think, when Marty was sitting next to you, he was sitting with Red Albrecht, mm-hmm. so when he was praising us, then uh, Red leaned over and he goes, that's because they're doing the Celtics. That's why
0: they're good. <laughs> I said,
1: okay, I'm not
0: going to argue with Red. Well. Every time I think of you, I always think of how, you know, you and I were the fault of Rick Pitino.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's what they told me.
0: <laughs> you know, but yeah. you know, here's
1: the thing that's interesting is that they said, I read somewhere, maybe it was a, a, a bio of me, something, I don't know. It said that you and I were fired from doing, oh, I was fired from doing the Celtics because uh Rick Pitino had me fired. I said, that's Bologna. <laughs> Patino left long before we
0: did. Rick Patino was already gone, but I I got some great stories later on. I, I'm going to have to do that, uh, revise this. Uh, uh, it was, um, I was talking to Dana Barris and the, Dana Barris and D Brown. And Dana told me a story. He said, When Rick walked into the first practice, he say He walked in, he said, Purvis, Dana, D." I couldn't fucking get i I couldn't fucking trade you guys. I didn't want you, and you guys are fucking horrible. They said, "Okay, let's practice." <laughs> they all they told me the story. I was laughing like hell. They was like, "Okay." All
1: uh, right, here we go. We're getting ready to go in okay, three, three, in three, two, one. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Welcome in Cedric Cornbread Maxwell, uh, broadcaster on Celtics Radio with Sean Grandy. Uh, of course, Max was a, a great player in the history of the Boston Celtics, uh, known reportedly for his defense. I said reportedly. Well, oh. How come you didn't become when you were in college at UNC Charlotte? You were more offensive-minded, weren't you?
0: I was more offensive-minded until we got a coach named Bill Fitch that came in, <laughs> uh, and then we got this kid named Bird uh, Larry. He he leaned over to me the first practice ever. Bill Fitch walked over to me and I was scorned and he says, well, I just want to let you know that every night you're going to have to guard the toughest offensive player. I was like, man, I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm not, not, not a fighter. And he <laughs> said, well, who do you think so guard them you or Larry? So uh, my offensive um, parade went down the window that particular day, my first meeting with uh, Bill Fitch
1: uh, Celtics last night 35 point win over Charlotte in Boston Jason Tatum who's been incredible uh right now a candidate certainly for the MVP even though we're only a quarter of the way through the season he gets 35 last night but Marcus smart he doesn't get a lot of publicity outside of Boston 22 points 15 assists made six of nine threes I look at Marcus smart as a guy a who's an excellent defensive player but Without Jalen Brown last night, he picked up the offensive slack as well.
0: Absolutely. I think that he did exactly what you said. Uh, he's been more of a facilitator. Uh, I had a chance after the post game to talk to Marcus Samar, and I asked him something that had happened if he had recall. And it was about a year ago when this team began to take off. And uh, we had a, had a game, and we, the next trip was in Orlando, and we were in the elevator about 2 o'clock in the morning, both retrieving our bags. And I asked Marcus, you know, why are you guys playing so well? And he said, that's what happens when you let your damn point guard handle the basketball. And uh, last night I asked asked him, I said, you remember when I was on the elevator with you about a year ago? (laughs) And he just bust out laughing. And I said, (laughs) he repeated, that's why you let your damn point guard handle the basketball. And he's been an excellent facilitator. Uh, The thing that I look at Marcus, I don't think that I've ever, ever have seen a a player this good be so maligned in one city. Uh, Either you you hate Marcus or you absolutely love him. I'm a huge fan because I think that Marcus is the best individual uh, defender under seven feet tall. The Celtics have ever had. And a lot of people, Mark Jackson came up to me. After I said that uh, one time on air, he said, well, I don't know. I thought it was a good thought, but you know, Dennis Johnson, you know, uh, he was a pretty good defender. I said, and he said, I played against Dennis and I looked at Marcus and Mark, I played with Dennis. I, 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 I happen to know maybe a little bit more. And uh, Marcus is incredible. Uh, He takes on seven feet guys. He takes on seven footers. He takes on, you know, guards, he takes on great scores. Uh, and that's why last year he was Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, even as great as Dennis Johnson was, he never got that honor. So I'm, I'm taking taking Russell and I'm taking uh, Kevin Garnett out of the equation. But under under seven feet tall, Marcus is the best.
1: He's Cedric Maxwell, uh, broadcaster for the Celtics on radio. Joe Mazzula replaces Ime Udoka uh, when. Why, when Eme... why
0: should I do this? Why should I do this hour? Are... Who?
2: Who? <laughs> <laughs> I'm when, Eme, you.
1: when when Ime got suspended and he was going to be gone for the year, wasn't there this doubt that whether Missoula yes. could do as well? And yes. now the doubt is
0: removed. Yes, I don't think anybody has even talked about, you know, Ime in, in that way, about you know, him possibly coming back. Uh again, it's still early. You said only one-fourth of the year has been played, but the way the Celtics are playing and the way the team has responded so far, uh, Joe Mazuma seems like he's the right choice. What I'm waiting for with this Boston Celtics team are the bumps in the road, which mm. you know are coming during the 82-game season. Uh, this team has been relatively healthy. Uh, they're still waiting right now for Rob Williams to come back. That will make them better defensively. But what what we've seen so far, he's done an excellent job. And I would say it. I think I haven't heard people say that. But if you stop the season right now, I think that he will clearly be the the coach of the year.
1: He is uh, Cedric Maxwell. I'm going to make a reference to um, a couple of guys. When the Celtics picked up Malcolm Brogdon, I thought that was going to be a really good addition. He played well last night, but has he performed to where you thought he would be when they got him.
0: Yes, he's even been better uh, because he spells Marcus defensively. And I think when you watch him come into the game and he plays with Marcus, you have a tandem of two guards, which are incredible defensively. Uh, I think he's a better maybe score uh, dead red shooter than Marcus. But both of those guys in tandem, they play well together. And I think when Brogdon, the the one thing that was always a question mark about him, and I remember hearing about people in Indiana when the trade was made, was Doc Rivers, the great coach of Philadelphia, always says your best ability is your availability. And a lot of times when you think about Brogdon at that time, he wasn't available to play. A lot of little nagging injuries. He seemed to have gotten over that. And it uh, gotten in a position where he's gotten into great rhythm right now playing.
1: Hey, Max, let me ask you if, look, the Celtics have the best record in the NBA at 17-4 and four, uh, with Milwaukee right on their tail. Uh, when I look at the Celtic team, and I don't see them every night like you do, but if I said that depth was one of the keys to this team, I mean, they didn't have Jalen Brown last night, didn't seem to matter. Um, you know, Cornette's done a good job at the center spot. Uh, Blake Griffin's now on the roster, and he performed pretty well last night. But is depth one of the reasons why they are where they are?
0: I think so. I think if you look at uh, Sam Hauser, has come in and been a great shooter off the bench for him. He's done an excellent job. Uh, You still have a lot of different options that you can use with this team. And when you talk about having Brogdon coming off the bench, Uh, a lot of different looks and even if you get if you can are fortunate enough to get really late late in the season say late in the playoffs maybe Gallinari is able to come back and give Hmm. you some there would be valuable so and and they've done a lot of this again without having Rob Williams and so without having him and you bring him back and you put the other guys back on the bench then you're going to be stronger
1: So where is, I mean, Milwaukee, I mentioned him before, look, you're dealing with Giannis, one of the top two, three players in the league Mm -hmm. without doubt. Uh, And he can carry a team and they they missed Middleton last year, as you remember, and they still missed him this year. Uh, Is that still the Celtics biggest competitor in the East?
0: I think the way I'm looking at it right now today, yes, it would be, Uh, you know, because they were the defending champions <laughs> about a year ago. And they had Giannis, still the best player, one of the best players in the game, uh, without Middleton. Uh, they stretched the Celtics uh, to seven games and had them on the ropes. So, yeah, I think that if you if you started from the top right now, I think you would definitely say that Milwaukee would be the biggest threat uh, to the Boston Celtics. I never want to count out, uh, you know, Philadelphia because, they have Joel Embiid, uh, and who knows what's going on right now in Brooklyn. They're kind of up and down, but, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be it's still a long season, a lot of season ahead for uh, for the Celtics. But right now, I would say, if you asked me today, I'd say Milwaukee would be the biggest threat, and I'm sure people in Milwaukee right now would say the Celtics would be the biggest threat.
1: Let me talk about the, the Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant's incredible. 45 last night in a victory. Uh, ben Simmons pulls out of the game in the first half with some kind of a knee injury. You mentioned something that's very appropriate when it comes to Simmons' availability. Uh, you were talking about that before. Well, he's not been as available as they would like him to be, whether he was in Philly or now in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, those things, you know, the to be on the floor and to be consistent. Um, my years with the Celtics, when I was playing with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, Every night, you can almost count on those four players being on the floor. Uh, when you can start a lineup of almost 80 games of players and they, they're they playing together for 80 games, it is a huge, huge impediment to the opposition because now these guys who play together really have been battle-tested. And mm-hmm. that's what you don't see when a guy's been out of the lineup as long as Simmons has, uh, and put him back in the middle of the fire.
1: Let's let's talk. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Kyrie Irving, but he serves the suspension. I think he missed like seven games. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much of an impact that suspension had on him because, you know, he dances to the beat of a different drum. Uh, I'm just wondering if that had an impact on him and will it change who he
0: is? Well, I think that you look at it, players, you say different drummer. How about them dead presidents that he didn't get? You know, those, those Franklins and Benjamins and, and all those people that he didn't see that left his wallet. Uh, you're talking about Kyrie Irving, who probably if he was, you know, and, and I still think he's one of the best, best offensive players to ever put on a Boston Southern uniform. Um, if he was who he was in Brooklyn, he'd be looking at a payday of almost a quarter of a billion dollars. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, where he's put his foot at now, and I just put his foot in his mouth and some of the things that has happened, it's kind of made the nets and probably is going to make any other team a little leery about giving them one of those committing to one of those long-term deals. So, um, you know, like him, love him, whatever. He still is one of the most incredible ball handlers, skilled shooters that this league has ever had. Now there's another side of Kyrie, which other teams have had to deal with, the Celtics have had to deal with, and um, that has taken away, it's tarnished, you know, uh, who he was, who he is right now as a basketball player. Uh,
1: look, I've never, when well, anybody says, well, you know, you, nobody can change this guy or that guy or, or somebody who's been a problem in the locker room. Uh, but then you look at the talent level and the talent level is, is the, the big separator uh, and <laughs> people look at him and say, you know, top 10 player in the NBA, maybe. Um, so what do you do? I mean, here are the Nets caught between a rock and a hard place. Yes. You want him because of his talent, but uh, is he
0: going to become what he was this year? That's, that's going to be their question to answer. Uh, the ownership, uh, Sean Marks, the general manager, that, that's a big question that they have to ask themselves about Kyrie Irving going forward. There's no question is about his ability to play, put the ball in the hole, maybe not the best defender in the world, but when it comes to scoring and getting me a basket, I'm not sure how many players I would pick before Kyrie to score the basketball. If I had to have one basket in this league, you know, Durant maybe because he's bigger, but after that, Kyrie Irving is one of the top three, four guys. If I want a bucket,
1: I'm giving the basketball to um, he, he, look, he played for Cleveland. Speaking of Cleveland, you know, they get Donovan Mitchell in the deal from Utah. Donovan Mitchell is a game changer. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the Knicks had a, they thought they had a deal on the table. It didn't work out. Uh, you, it doesn't make any difference about all the ifs and ands. The fact is that Donovan Mitchell with Garland and the rest of that Cavalier team, they're a problem.
0: Yeah. They're a young team that's going to grow together. They're one of the teams. I think they had Celtics in two play uh, two overtime games this year and beat the Celtics two times out of the four four losses the Celtics have had. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, they create a lot of problems. Those two guys, Garland Garland, can score the basketball, get them by bunches. Uh, another guy who hurt the Celtics was um, LeVert came in. He was able to uh, score. So they got some scores. And then you talk about guys who are big. Uh, Jared Allen, uh, you can be a shot blocker. Mm -hmm. uh, What he's able to bring, Mobley, another shot blocker. So they have good defenders and they have outstanding scores. And then you put another veteran in the mix, in Kevin Love, who just fits in where he gets in. I I love this team and what they've done. I mean, sometimes you're too smart for yourself and you make decisions. Uh, You know, I'll ask you a question. How do you feel right now when you look at, at Minnesota? Uh, Minnesota went out and got Rudy Gobert and said, we're going to be better. Well, that don't seem to have worked out. <laughs>
1: nope. Nope.
0: And you get, and Danny got three first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. So if you can make that trade all over again if you are Minnesota, because Minnesota was one of those teams last year that seemed like they were on the cusp of doing something really, really good. Carl Anthony Towns is playing great. Anthony Edwards was great, and then they had a couple of dogs in there who would really get, get after you and, and make things tough. So they had a, a fan base was going the right way, and then all of a sudden things have really changed and gone the other way because they have those two bigs, and neither, neither one of them goes out on the floor and guards people um, continuously.
1: He's Cedric Maxwell, broadcaster for the Celtics. Let me ask you a question about – surprises and I mean negative surprises I think Miami fits that uh, I don't know what's going on there I don't know have you seen them a couple of times this year what is wrong with the Miami Heat because I expected them to be a top four team in the east well I
0: think that it's again it's still early uh, they've had a lot of injuries um, I think that you know one thing you look at is you know when when Butler is playing uh, you know he, they have a whole nother mindset uh, one of my favorite players uh, to play is Kyle Lowry, who's getting a little bit older right now in the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how is he going to perform? And then you look at their bench, you know, you have an Atala hero uh, who's, able, who's able to shoot the ball the way he is. Bam, Alabado, you know, a really good player. So, they've had some injuries. And Duncan Robinson, who was expected to be one of those outstanding scorers in this league, but can't defend. And essentially, he's been put on the bench. And they gave him about $25, $26 million a year. Uh, So they got a lot of soul searching to do in Miami. But if they're healthy in a seven-game series, it's going to be interesting. And you speak of that, the next two games the Celtics have are games with Miami. One of those times where you have Miami coming in here on a Wednesday, and then they come in on a Friday to play. Uh, So you got back-to-back at home with Miami. So you get a chance to see what Miami's really like here on the road and how they'll perform.
1: Well, so you get one day in between to go to South Beach, right?
0: Uh, South Beach, no. So If you want to say South Beach is here in Boston, South <laughs> Beach, this game is going to be here in Boston. That's yeah, where the two games are. So if you want to say um, South Boston, yeah, you can say South Boston, but not South Beach.
1: Greatest memory of your career, aside from working with me, the greatest uh, memory that you have in your career as a player,
0: and I wanted oh, to go, be. I'd rather do it differently. I'd rather go with you. And when you and I were invited to dinner uh in Milwaukee, uh in a place called uh, as I end up calling Shea Whiteys that we end up going to where there wasn't another black person in there eating but me. And the brothers in the back were looking like, yo man, don't 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 let them know you can talk. <laughs> that was a that was a great memory. Um probably
1: That was Saz's, by the way.
0: Yeah, well, it was Shea White's to me. But anyway, um, uh, the thing that I loved, I think that I'm going to look back on as a broadcaster or a player. Which one do you want me to go with?
1: As a player first. Was it during the finals
0: when you guarded the Magic for the entire series? Yeah, you know, but I get Dennis Johnson guarded him a little bit too. He did a great job. I think playing against James Worthy in the finals, playing against the Lakers in 1984, uh, and and being dominant in that seventh game and winning that seventh game here in Boston had to be a highlight. Obviously, being the Finals MVP in 1981 had to be another highlight, winning multiple championships um, to get your jersey retired uh, by the Boston Celtics. One of the things that will will I'll miss right now is the fact that, you know, this is this is what I'll miss out there. I can do it now because it works uh, with you, but I missed this right here from Bill Russell. You got to look up Howard. Bill Russell would do this to me all the time. He would give me four <laughs> fingers whenever he saw me. He would always give me the. I was like, dude, why do you do that all the time? He said, cause I like you. He said, well, don't, don't like me so much. All right? don't, you don't have to like me anymore. Uh, but that was his way. And, and to miss a, uh, you know, a guy like Bill Russell for him not to be around anymore, mm. uh, but to see what the NBA has done, but uh, you know, just great series. I played in Howard. Those will be the things i miss as a player. Uh, you know, going to Philadelphia, playing against, uh, you know, the 76ers uh, during the 80s, <laughs> remarkable. I've never been to war, never was a soldier, but that's about as close as I came to, to just fighting, physically wanting to fight every night.
1: Always great talking to you, my man. You stay safe, all right?
0: All right, be easy. Here you go. Give you this you be the Bill Russell, boy. Get out of <laughs> all right, take it
1: easy. Uh, all right, Max. Right. He's Cedric Maxwell, the cornbread, as he's known. Uh, really a good dude in on so many ways. Uh, I worked with him for four years in Boston doing Celtics radio. And I just, uh, you know, he's just one of those guys that's made a lasting, uh, a lasting memory for me. We're going to talk to Andy Vasquez of the New York Star-Ledger, who uh, covers the... Uh,
2: New York Jets. It's kind of a nice story, isn't it, Andy? (laughs) Yeah, they've been a bit of a surprise. Seven and four. uh, It's always complicated with the Jets, as you know. So seven and four is feeling a little bit more stressful than maybe for some other seven and four teams. But let's not forget that the Jets are seven and four. And at the beginning of the season, no one would have expected that. But yes, it has been a tumultuous ride, to say the least. I think uh, when you look back at... uh... I thought the victory
1: over Buffalo was impressive the way they did it with defense and running, running the ball as well as they did. But last, uh, last Sunday was one of those trap games. They're playing a Chicago Bears team that's beaten up, missing a lot of defensive players, missing their quarterback. And they hung around with the Jets for a while. And then the Jets, I don't know where the switch went off. uh, That the the Jets took control of the game.
2: But uh, Mike White right now is the biggest hero to Jet fans. Yeah, so it's a lot like 13 months ago when on Halloween Mike White came in and became one of the first, I think it was the first starting quarterback or maybe one of only two since 1970 to throw for more than 400 yards in his first career start. Um kind of took the NFL by hold at that point point. his jersey ended up going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and while he didn't have 400 yards against the Bears the only reason was is because the Jets called off the dogs in the fourth quarter. I mean, he He was over 300 yards late in the third quarter. Um, He started six of seven with 69 yards on the opening touchdown drive. And the jets struggled early in this game because of their defense. Uh, They just weren't as crisp as they usually are and where they turned it around to answer your question is in the late second quarter and early third quarter, four straight three and outs, not including a, a kneel down by the bears at the end of the first half that really set the tone for them. And, and, you knew at the end of the second quarter that the bears probably weren't scoring again. And the way it turned out, they didn't, that is where this team is at right now. Defensively, when they get it going, it doesn't matter if you're pretty good offense, like the Patriots who showed that they could score against the Vikings, or if you're a bears team, that's down to their second string quarterback. uh, You're going to have a hard time scoring on the jets. And that was the biggest difference. And that's why they had no problem winning a game. They should have won.
1: All right. We we know that Brees Hall is out for the year. Michael Carter was going to be the number one running back. He gets hurt. And then uh, all of a sudden a guy named Zonovan Knight becomes on the tip of every jet fans tongue and Ty Johnson, the two of them combined to provide more than just an adequate running game last week.
2: Yeah, it was, it was really a a second half explosion. And this, um, I I think the jets had the game well in hand uh, by the time they were able to get to the run, but it was, uh, the reason they were able to win so convincingly is they controlled the clock too. Um, the night, I think he set a franchise record for rookie yards in a debut. He he just showed explosive speed and it was a surprise that he was playing. Remember the jets traded for James Robinson of the Jaguars uh, right after Brees hall was hurt. He was expected to be a pivotal part of this run game and he was a healthy scratch on Sunday. And the reason why, Uh, Robert Sala said it's not over for James Robinson with the Jets. They just really like what Bam, and that's his nickname, Bam, Bam Knight. He wore a Scarface sweater after the game. (laughs) Uh, so He's got some personality, but he seems like a really nice kid. But they loved the way that he vertically got up and down the field, his explosive first step, uh, how he'd put his foot in the grounding and get yards north to south instead of a lot of the sideways stuff that you see nowadays. And it it worked really well on Sunday. So um, the Jets – you know, they're still trying to find their offensive identity since losing Brees Hall. I don't think it's been the same since. And I think Zach Wilson would still be the quarterback if Brees Hall was here because he makes that much of a difference. But like you said, against that game and that game against Buffalo and what we saw against the Bears, they've shown that they can run the ball.
1: Uh, Andy,
2: let's talk about uh,
1: the receiving core, which I thought when the season started looked pretty formidable, good draft, uh, the the picking up of the two tight ends, and I'm watching the game. You know the, the disaster against New England, and I'm thinking, what changed in terms of Lafleur, the offensive coordinator's thinking between that game and what we saw last Sunday? And all of a sudden, whoa, the use of the tight ends. I mean, I, I noticed that uh, screen passes. They hadn't even run anything that resembled that against New England. Why the philosophical change? Was that
2: addressed after the game? Well, it hasn't been addressed yet. We'll talk to Mike LaFleur later this week. But uh, Robert Sala, I I think he didn't really address it specifically either. I think the biggest difference is obviously they made a change at quarterback. And right now they have a quarterback who uh, is doing the opposite of what Zach Wilson did when he was the quarterback, which is making the easy throws. And I think, um, you know, he missed. If you look at the tight ends in that game against the Patriots, he airmailed the ball like 15 yards over the head of Tyler uh, Tyler Conklin, who was running down the middle of the field, he, he, the screen pass to Braxton barrios he threw 10 yards over his, his head. You right. uh, can talk any everything you want about Zach Wilson's decision-making, and I'm sure we'll get more into Zach Wilson, but the biggest problem was that he was missing these easy throws, and I think that's why the offense was struggling so much, and, and that's why his receivers were just as mad at him as the defense was because it, it, there were opportunities out there, and, and these it's more than just missing like a, what seems like it might be a two or three yard gain on first down. It's about setting yourself up for second and third down. And it was making everything so much harder on the, on the offense from a confidence standpoint and from just an effect effectiveness standpoint, because they were in third and long so often. So um, I think if you're looking for one thing and, and the biggest reason that the Jets players were so clearly excited about Mike white the other day, they, I feel, felt like, I'm sure you saw it too. They played at with a different level of energy, I think they just knew that uh, the easy stuff was going to be easy. And Robert Sala even said that after the game. He made the easy stuff look easy. And, uh, you know, I think Mike LaFleur deserves some criticism for maybe not putting Zach Wilson in the best situation as a coordinator. But also, if you look back at a lot of those plays, you could see that stuff was there. And it's hard to overcome a quarterback who just isn't taking advantage of the easy opportunities. Well, the guys that benefited the most, I thought Garrett
1: Wilson had a superb day, obviously. But Elijah Moore is a guy that wanted to be traded, and he played a significant role last week as well.
2: Yeah. So Garrett Wilson had two touchdown catches, his first two touchdown catches since week two when Joe Flacco was the quarterback. So all four of his touchdowns this year have been with quarterbacks other than Zach Wilson. And and then uh, Elijah Moore, with his first touchdown in 51 weeks, he had gone the first, he, he was en- injured at the end of last year after that promising finish to his rookie year. And then he went the first nine games of this season without a touchdown catch. And uh, look, I was highly critical of Elijah Moore. And I, I stand by that. I don't think he handled uh, the situation correctly yep. in any way, shape or form, but talk about a guy who's looking a little bit vindicated these days. Obviously a lot of his problems were with Zach Wilson as the quarterback and um, for him to get involved, it shows that a, there's still love for Elijah Moore in the locker room and B most importantly, there's a role for him to play these last six games of the season. He They need him to be a contributor. Uh, he's too talented. There, there's too much explosive potential there. He had a 42-yard catch in addition to the 22-yard touchdown, so two catches for 64 yards. Uh, there's a lot of potential there for him, and he's going to be a, an important part of this offense moving forward for the final six games of the season. Andy Vasquez
1: of the New York Star-Ledger covering the Jets. So now the moment of truth. You got to play Minnesota this week, who's had only two losses followed by a game up in Buffalo. And you know, they want to get even for what happened to them in New Jersey. Uh, This is going to be a Supreme test
2: uh, for the jets going forward. I think it's going to be a season defining test. I think if they can win one of these two games, they're going to make the playoffs. I I know that the lions game at home and the the Jags game at home aren't, isn't as easy as it looked maybe a couple of weeks ago with both those teams playing better. But I think the jets if they can win one of these next two games, they got to finish two and four. I think they find a way to do it. I like their chances against Minnesota. Uh, that, that defense is good, but it's not as the Patriots proved a couple weeks ago or on Thanksgiving, it's not unstoppable. Uh, if, if they're hitting on, the on, on the stuff that they were hitting on against Chicago uh, they're going to move the ball and the jets have not lost a game this year when they've scored more than 18 points. So, That's kind of the bar that you're going to be looking for the next two weeks. Can the jets get to 18 points with Mike white? Mike white is a guy who uh, obviously he can make the easy throws, but he also forces some risky throws in there. Had a couple of near picks the other day. Finding that balance is going to be really key for him to, to, you know, take some risks and be more aggressive than Zach Wilson was being, but also not turn the ball over. Uh, He's going to turn the ball over some, but it can't be multiple times per game. It's going to be really interesting to watch. I like their chances of beating Minnesota. I think it's going to be a tough ask in Buffalo, even though Buffalo is banged up.
1: Uh, When you look at storylines for this game, uh, clearly how the Jets corners are going to deal with Justin Jefferson. I mean, I think he's the best
2: receiver in the NFL. How do you feel? I mean, when you look at some of these catches he was making and and, in the Patriots game and in the bills game, like it was obvious that they're going to him and there's nothing a defense can do to stop it. So it's a fascinating matchup. The jets have have done well in in limiting some of these guys this year and not so well with other guys. They shut down Jamar chase. Uh, They had a tough time with Amari Cooper, Um, you know, and I could go on down the list. I can't remember the specifics right now, so I won't, but, they've they've done well with with a lot of these receivers. So I think it's going to be an interesting task. I think Tyler Conklin, uh, who played tight end for the Vikings, uh, another interesting storyline there. I think uh, they'll look to get him involved, and he's he was more involved with Mike White. So I think the tight ends will be a key part for this game and the, with the Jets, too.
1: It's interesting that and I don't want to get into uh, Zach Wilson, but And the question is, well, how long is it before he gets back on the field, if he gets back on the field this season? And let us, I mean, I'm listening to Teddy Bruschi the other day. He was on ESPN. And Bruschi said he felt the reason why they benched him was because Wilson wouldn't take accountability at the press conference after the game. I thought, whoa, wait a minute. How about his performance on the field? Isn't that the
2: single biggest reason? I think that is the single biggest reason because even before the players in that locker room knew what Wilson said, I can tell you, it was not a happy place. I mean, and it was um, I think the defense did a good job of hiding their frustration in front of the cameras. Like, but you could see they had that kind of million mile gaze in in their eyes where they were like, how is this happening? And there was just open frustration from the offense in that locker room. I mean, I think it was over before he said that. I don't think, it left Salah any option publicly. Right. But I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. It was about his play and um, moving forward. It's going to be hard for him to get the job back because um, like, how do you put a guy who has that many problems where you publicly admit he has to have a reset? How do you put him in the game when you're in a playoff hunt? Um, I mean, I think it's going to take an injury to Mike white or for Mike white to play really bad. And then you still have Joe Flacco. So it's, 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 not a good situation, considering that he's only played twenty games, and he was the number two overall pick last year. I mean, it's just not a lot of guys come back from this. Uh, not I'm sitting, I'm
1: sitting watching the Jet game last week, and I was with my family and we're watching the game, and they're Jet fans, Jet season ticket holders, etc. And they kept cutting to Zach Wilson on the sideline, not once, not twice, but a dozen times during the game. And I like, "What do you expect?" Him to say or do? Why keep going to him? He's, he's he's not even dressed for the game. And I think they were trying to develop a storyline that I just thought
2: was fiction. I agree. I think there's a lot to to criticize Zach Wilson about, and I've certainly criticized him. But I'm not I'm, I'm not touching this whole like what does he look like on the sideline? Like first, what do you expect? Like you just said, what do you expect him to look like? It's raining. It's miserable out there. He clearly isn't going to be super thrilled about um, the situation he's in, and and nor should he be. Like you're not going to get these happy looking photos or, um, like like television camera shots. And I I I I agree with you. I think like fans trying to parse that and be like how helpful he was or not on the sideline, it's ridiculous. I I will say this: Zach Wilson took accountability after the fact. He sounded like a different dude yep. in the press conference. Out. That's not easy to do. Other players, some other players, even in this locker room, like Elijah Moore never came back and had that kind of a press conference where he apologized for what he did. It's not easy to do. From every indication is he's been completely supportive of Mike White. Um, He's still engaged in meetings. He's running the scout team and giving them a chance to to do whatever he can to help them win the next game. Um, The real story here is that he's just not playing well enough. Um, He hasn't played well enough, and, you know, it's going to take – several circumstances, including probably an injury to Mike White or for him to play really bad for him to get back on the field because it just doesn't, his play just doesn't justify it at this point. And to me, that's the most damning storyline and, and the most uh relevant one, because when you drafted a guy number two overall, 18, 19 months ago, and, and you can't put him on the field for a team that he doesn't need to, to go out and win them playoff games. He just needs to go out and play like a normal quarterback for them to stay in games because their defense is good enough. To me, that's a much more damning storyline than Zach Wilson looking sour on the sideline. Interesting take on it, Andy. I appreciate your insight.
1: Thanks a million. Uh, Keep doing the great work you're doing and you stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for having me and hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. He's Andy Vasquez of the Newark Star-Ledger covers uh, the New York Jets. Uh, It's, um, I don't know. I, I have a feeling about, I'm tired of hearing same old Jets. I really am. Because this is not the same old Jets. This is a football team that believes they can win. When they beat Buffalo, they believe they could win. They turned down. I mean, Josh Allen was a non-factor to speak of. Turned the ball over, got sacked a lot. But they're going to be ready for the Jets in two weeks. There's no doubt about it, playing up in Buffalo. But first things first, Minnesota is a good football team that's not getting a lot of credit. Their record. I mean, they're nine and two. Just don't look any further than that. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, I agree with Andy. I think they win one of the next two games. I think they're in a really good position. Don't take Detroit lightly. And don't forget the end of the season. They got to go to Miami, a team right now that's playing as well as any team in the NFL. I'm Howard David. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. And you stay safe. Thanks.